This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Hold True Tattoo Studios. The new studio is now open in Hamilton, and if you're interested in getting any tattoo work done or discussing any designs, please contact the chief artist, Brian Bell. You can find Hold True Tattoo Studios on Instagram and on Facebook, so if you're at all interested, please check them out. Chris, how you doing, pal? Good, how are you doing? Not bad, well, not bad. Thanks for coming on. No problem. Thank, thanks for having me. I was I was pretty excited when you asked me to to, to come on. So yeah, brilliant. What what time is it there at the moment? But midday probably. Uh 12.15. It's like lunchtime. All right, cool. Cool. It's uh, just gone quarter past five here. So this is quite a good time difference, actually. I've done a couple so far, and it's been maybe like 11 or 12 at night here to try and accommodate yeah. people. But, that's, uh, why I, that's why I figured it would probably be better just to do it like during lunchtime here. and It's not too late over there. I remember when I fought over there, it was uh, trying to start drinking and it was like 10 in the morning. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yep. You were a, that's a, do you know, <laughs> I'll give you an introduction in a wee second, but just when you mentioned that, it was one of the, one of the UFC cards you were on was in Dublin, wasn't it? Yep. Yep. Was that one of McGregor's? It must have been one of McGregor's headlining. Yeah, it was uh, McGregor Brandau. Okay. Okay. Uh, but that—that's one of—that's one of the things that I want to chat to you about later. Is—is is obviously your experiences uh, in both the UFC and Bellator. But uh, there's plenty of time. We can we can get to that. Uh, yeah. Probably keep you for about an hour. Is that going to be okay? Yeah, that, yeah. I wouldn't. However long, doesn't matter to me. Fantastic, fantastic. Uh, right, guys. So we are uh, joined today by Chris Dempsey. Uh, I've wrote some of your accomplishments down just so we can we can quickly go through them. Uh, first of all, you've got a political science degree from Pittsburgh University. Uh, two-time NCAA All-American. I want to talk to you about that as well because there's there's so much information I want to I want to learn from myself actually on that. A competitor in the UFC and in Bellator, and uh, you've kind of moved into more of a grappling career now as well. Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, that's what I've been focusing on. But uh, between grappling and coaching and stuff, so fantastic. I don't get hit in the head so many times. <laughs> Do you know it's it's so prevalent? I'm actually working at the moment to get uh, one of the the specialists here in the UK onto the podcast, who is an expert in head injuries and concussions and things that for, for being involved in uh, wrestling and mixed martial arts, is that something that you were, were conscious of to, to try and move away from that? So that was, that was pretty much why I made the decision to, to kind of go on to the, uh, to the grappling side and, and not so much the fighting side. Um, I used to be able to get hit with everything in the head and I would just keep walking through it. I mean, yep. so many stories from college that we won't go into on here, but that <laughs> gotten hit in the head with things and it just never affected me. And then having uh, three knockouts in a row and like four out of the last five, kind of, we looked at it as something had changed in my brain and that, um, it was probably better off to not do that anymore. Yeah. Um, we have the, I, I know, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Concussion with Will Smith. I actually haven't. My, my wife actually watched it. I, I do need to get to that, but yeah. Well, those doctors are from Pittsburgh. So yeah. I actually went through their protocol twice and they told me that I was normal. And so I was a little bit skeptical there because I've never been told I was normal before. So, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Did, did you find that was something uh, getting sort of knocked out th three times in a row? Were you thinking after the first one that the second one felt different or the third one felt different? Is that what you ultimately thought? No, I've, I've had enough of this for my, the sake of my future, I guess. Um, it's not really. It, honestly, the only one that was bad was the first one in, in Ireland. And um that guy was was really good, and he's still fighting the UFC right now. And uh, that that was the only time I was really out. 
Like all the other ones, I was just kind of fell over, flashed out, and I was fine after that. And I, I never had, for many of them, I never had any um, further harmful things from it or anything like that. And I know you're not supposed to sleep. You're not supposed to do a lot of stuff after the concussion. And a knockout is a concussion. So yep. I, I slept those nights. I mean, I'd, <laughs> it never really affected me. So, you know, it's there's been some rulings over here in, in, in the UK regarding uh, children playing soccer and even just heading the ball. So the, the reason why I was looking to eventually get the, the, the surgeon onto the podcast to talk about that is his speciality was rugby. So he's done a lot of research on, on, on rugby. Uh, but even on like soccer or football with the children heading the ball, everyone's really focused in on this now. And... They're saying some people are saying that heading the ball continuously is just as bad as getting punched in the head. So it's a it's a huge thing, which might have repercussions for everything that we do eventually. Right. I don't well, know. I mean, they they made the same ruling over over here in soccer. Um, and kids uh, kids aren't allowed to head the ball. Uh, you have to be like a certain age. And I never played soccer, so I don't really know what the rules or anything yeah. like that. But I know that they are not allowed to head until a certain age. <laughs> Do you know that? Again, I'm definitely no expert, Chris. So this is just me thinking out loud, I guess. But I just think it's it's the last thing we would want is combat sports to be uh, ultimately taken away from us, I guess. And I don't think that'll ever happen. But I just yeah. think it's a bit crazy that a kid can't head a football. But we're okay putting them into a martial arts tournament where they get punched and kicked in the head continuously. There doesn't seem to be any. I don't know. I think that we're a little bit oversensitive about just about everything right now. And yeah. I mean, yeah, there's probably going to be repercussions and everything. Uh, but uh, like I played football, I wrestled, I, I didn't play the safest sports. I knew I wasn't going to play the safest sports, but yeah. I the smartest guy to start with. So I wasn't really too worried about it. <laughs> Well, you've got a political science degree, so listen, you're, you're talking yourself down there a wee bit, I think. Uh, right, buddy, listen, let's 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 jump in. As I say, I've got a lot of stuff written down here that I want to, I want to touch with you. So one of the things that I think is really different between the US and the UK is just how much importance is put onto sport. And I know you've got lots of experience in uh, collegiate wrestling, for example. So anytime I've been to the US, I've sometimes I've driven by or visited college football stadiums, for example. And they're actually sometimes bigger than the stadiums we have here for professional sports. It seems to be such a, a huge thing. So let, let's start on that. And if you can tell us a wee bit about how you got into wrestling in school and college and just about that full process, because it's something that I don't have any knowledge on at all, to be honest. So um, I, I actually went to a Catholic school until fourth grade and you weren't allowed to play any sports except for basketball. And you weren't allowed to start basketball to a certain, like there was all these restrictions. But, and so they put a flyer out that there was wrestling uh, starting up and I wanted I played baseball at the time and I wanted to try something else so then I went to this uh, wrestling practice and I just started wrestling and I just never quit I guess and uh I what was age would you have been then what age would you seven been? seven right well okay yes second grade I was seven years old and I I, I liked it I, I liked being there I was I was always a physical kid so yeah I I liked doing that and um I just, I kind of stuck with it. The the school that I went to, like the public school that I went to, we didn't have wrestling until um, I was in eighth grade and we got our program. So all the kids that were on our team, I went to school with, but we wrestled for a different school that no longer exists anymore. And so like wrestling's a little bit different than say football or basketball. Like the area I'm from is really big in football and basketball. Like, uh, um, there's a lot of schools that put, uh, put a lot of pro football players out. And, uh, so 
there is a huge emphasis on sports, but depending on what area you're in, like the South is, the South is real big, like say Florida, Texas, they're really big on football, but they're also really big on baseball and other things. So I think that has a huge factor uh, on what sports you play uh, because of that. Western Pennsylvania, where I'm from, is is one of the best wrestling um, areas in the entire world. And I mean, we just, I think we had like four or five guys in the national finals for college yeah. this year. And it, four out of five, four or five out of 20 is <laughs> pretty high numbers. Yep, yep. And, and um, that, that doesn't really, uh, like, I think sports are, are really emphasizing the United States because people can make money off of them. And I mean, that's, <laughs> that's, what, that's what everybody cares about at the end of the day. And wrestling isn't one of those sports you can make a lot of money on. And same with the MMA. And uh, so to do, to wrestle or to do MMA, you really have to have a love of it because you're not getting that, you're not getting that kickback on the back end where you can take care self or take care of a family or anything like that yeah that that's something i want to investigate the 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 wrestling a, a little further but as we spoke about before the podcast I, I do want to touch on that that money side of things because i've been talking about that with phil Ramirez jr actually over the last couple of weeks we've been batting back and forth uh, i think people get the idea sometimes that everybody's a Conor McGregor or everybody's a Khabib who's making millions and millions of dollars, but there's a million tiers under that where, where people don't. But uh, as I say, we'll, we'll, we'll touch on that. We'll touch on that a wee bit later. So how can you describe to us the support, the training, and just the full process of beginning wrestling as a seven-year-old and then going all the way up to being two times NCAA all-American and and actually what's involved in that as well because when I was reading up on the NCAA again I was thinking we've got nothing to my knowledge like that over here so your journey in wrestling really so um actually because of the area I was from like I was way more interested in playing football so I kind of split my time between playing football and wrestling all through uh growing up and things like that and they kind of helped me work. They, they kind of work together to help me in each other because as a kid in this area, you have to cut weight to play football, yeah. because, which is kind of counterproductive in a lot of, uh, a lot of areas. Like I was, I was one of the bigger kids. So I had to cut weight for football. So I was cutting weight. I started playing football when I was 10 and I was cutting weight from the time uh, like August when, when we would start wrestling or start football all the way till March when wrestling ended. So I cut weight a lot when I was a little kid. And um, so a lot of the coaches that I had for football, also I had for wrestling as well. So having those guys around me all year round also helped me develop as a athlete in both sports. And uh, I mean, it was hard at first, like I, I the first couple of years, I mean, if you're not good at a sport that's a team sport and you can really kind of like hide in the crowd a little bit till you develop a little, a little more and, and get better at it. Yeah. But you go and you're not good and you go against somebody in practice every single day who is good. You're going to take your, you're going to take your beatings every once in a while. So that, that was one thing. I think uh, I just like being in the crowd uh, of those people. And, and I never, once you lose, like me personally, once I lose once or if once I get beat, like I'm not going to stop until you can't beat me anymore. So I think that mentality really helped me out big time. And um, I just kind of stuck with it. And then um, once I got to about uh, 10th grade, I started wrestling freestyle, which is what the, which is the wrestling you see in the Olympics and stuff. Okay. Yep. So then our, our season would end in March and then, freestyle season would start in April and go all the way to uh, all the way to August. So all summer I was going, I was working, going to wrestling practice uh, and then uh, going to football practice as well. And so my summers all through high school, they weren't, 
the typical summers that everybody else had. I was like, I was busy. And like, by the time I got home, like, I didn't even want to shower after all that. I just wanted to like, as soon as I sat down, I just like fell asleep half the time. So yeah, it was a hard process, but I mean, I wouldn't train it for anything. On, on, when you mentioned weight cutting there, uh, I had a friend of mine on a couple of weeks ago who's a, who's a Muay Thai fighter, and he was talking about weight cutting. Some of the stories, some of the weight he was talking about having to cut was, was quite unbelievable. Uh, just to confirm what you said there, from what age were you weight cutting for your sports and what was involved in that? Because um, some, some, as a 10-year-old, right, so... Yeah. Okay. My parents, my parents hated it. They tried to get me to, they tried to get me to quit sports because they hated that I cut weight for them. That's for football, American football, and for uh, wrestling, or just for yeah. wrestling? Both for both. Right. Okay. If, if, uh, <laughs> now my wee guys eight. So two years, if he joined a football soccer team over here, and they were saying, "Oh, this kid has to cut weight," people. It just doesn't make sense. So nah. can you explain a wee bit of how that was put over to you? And, and what was that? How does a 10-year-old cut weight? Like, obviously, dieting, but as a 10-year-old? As a yeah. I mean, I guess I just started, like, back then, I, didn't, I mean, I'm 10. I don't know anything about stuff like that. So, like, yeah. some of the parents that were, like, in, I think, I remember the one kid's mom uh, was trying to, like, give us advice and everything about how to do it. Uh, well, basically me, because I always had to hide it because they didn't, my parents didn't like that I was cutting weight. <laughs> yeah. I basically, uh, basically kind of did like an Atkins diet almost at that age until I like learned a little bit more about everything. So like I would eat vegetables or, or proteins and I wouldn't eat anything else. And then we were, we did the typical wear garbage bags and, and sweat yep. underneath. I mean, it's pretty funny seeing a kid with a garbage bag and sweatpants and sweatshirt underneath his football pads in August. Like, you're like, what the heck is wrong with this kid? But I mean, we did what we had to do. We uh, we got there was a, a gym nearby that we went sat in sauna for, and we didn't do anything crazy extreme. And there was, I think, four of us. We called ourselves the Hogs. Well, the coaches called us the Hogs. <laughs> we we're the ones that always had to cut weight. So. It, we had we had each other to do it with, but I mean, it was hard as a ten year old to not be able to do any of that other stuff. I, I think we'll just leave that one there because <laughs> <laughs> I've got no words for that. Uh, right. So obviously, you your success continued, uh, or you got more successful as you progressed into what would be high school and then and then college. So. If we can jump ahead, we will go back a wee bit, but if you can jump ahead and, and just explain to us what being an NCAA All-American is, what what what, what is that? So um, it's basically the it's, – it's, so if you're a state champ or a national champ in high school, it would be the same thing, only a little bit more difficult in college because uh, you figure you have the entire country and you have the best of the best of the high school kids that are now – on less teams, so you have a a better pool of uh, athletes coming coming. Yep. So um, it's just uh, it's the largest tournament in the country. And I was a Division Two. Uh, I wrestled at Division Two, so there's Division One, Two, Three, and then there's some stuff underneath that too. Yep. But uh, I got to I got to wrestle with some uh, wrestle at, at the same time and with some of the uh, some of the best guys in the UFC and Bellator now. I mean. Uh, um uh Derek Brunson was in our was in the conference with us uh he wrestled a weight class below me Corey Anderson was in our way I was in our uh, um um conference as well and then uh Kamar Usman was in the same division as us uh wrestled at the same time and it was uh it, it's cool to see those guys around now and like I've, I've fought on some cards with those guys and I've trained with some of those guys and like we kind of all still remember each other a little bit. And like, it, it's kind of cool to have like, oh, hey, like I remember you from 10 years ago before anybody knew who any of us were. So. Yep, yep. Uh, so really successful uh, wrestling career in high school, really successful, really, really successful, obviously in, in college. 
what what pushed you towards martial arts then after after your wrestling experience? Because obviously you ended up in the the biggest fighting championships in the world. So ha, ha, talk to us a wee bit about leaving college and then progressing and moving from just wrestling into martial arts, if you could. So it actually started while I was in college. Okay. Um, my sophomore year of college, uh, my coach comes up to me and the, so our, our, the school I went to, we had a guy, his name was Carlton Hasserig and he is the most successful national champ of all time. He's won six national championships. And then he went on and played professional football for the Steelers. Okay. And, uh, was an all pro and stuff like that. He's, he's a, he's a legend in the wrestling community and especially at our school. And he was about so 15 years older than me. So like, I always knew who he was, but I didn't know him. Yeah. And sophomore year, my coach comes up, he's like, Hey, uh, Carlton's fighting. Um, he needs somebody to work out with. Uh, you want to try it out? And, uh, so I was like, yeah, definitely. I want to try it out. So I started working out with Carlton, uh, right. as my sophomore year. And, uh, I didn't know this at the time, but he didn't, he didn't really like working out with a lot of people. A lot of people kind of either couldn't handle it with him or just rubbed him the wrong way. And he had a good, he had a good eye for people who were going to try to take advantage of him or people who just weren't good people in general. So, uh, he told coach that he wanted me to keep working out with him. And I ended up moving in with him after college. And uh, he let me live with him and his family. And uh, I just started fighting as soon as I uh, got done with NCAAs that year. And it kind of just kept snowballing from there. So did you have any, obviously you had all of this wrestling experience, but did you have any striking experience before you went into mixed martial arts or did you just? Not really any uh, technical experience, no. Okay. So where did that come in then? Because I think I think it's like okay, I'm speaking to the expert here, so maybe I should ask rather than than say. But I believe that it's generally recognised now that wrestling. You're talking about people like uh, Kamara Usman, for example. These champions all have Habib, who's obviously just retired, but that wrestling seems to be the number one base that people are looking for now, even over and above. Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, which was the base for, for a good while. But you had this advantage of being such a good wrestler. But did you just go in there without having any structured striking training at all? Yeah, yeah, basically. I, I didn't, I didn't. <laughs> it's kind of funny to say, like, I was talking to, the, I was actually talking to somebody else about this not too long ago, but I didn't start taking striking classes or or uh anything other than live sparring i did nothing with striking until after i lost my first ufc fight so it was it's kind of funny it was like i was i was fighting the ufc and i had not one shred of striking experience in my life like so it was it doesn't really seem that smart right now when i look back and think about it well, well that's what i was just going to ask you when you look back on that would you have was that just because you got the opportunity and you said, I'm going to go for this? Or would you have maybe, looking back, taken a little bit more time or tried to build that skill set a wee bit better? Um, looking back, I would have started trying to build that way earlier. I mean, I was fighting for probably, that was three and a half, maybe four years uh, before that. And I was just either sparring live or rolling live I, I wasn't I wasn't learning anything that I wasn't learning on the fly yeah. and that was that was a huge mistake that I made and there was plenty of coaches that was like no you gotta do this this and I wouldn't listen to them so like I can't I can't really blame anybody but myself for that and uh, I mean I was having so much success without it, it that it was like oh well I don't even need this and I was like I didn't I, I it was a bad decision. It, I, if I could go back, that would be the one thing I would, I would have trained a lot more technique. I would have drilled a lot more and I wouldn't have sparred as much. I mean, I was sparring four to five times a week, <laughs> like live hard. So it wasn't, it wasn't the, 
the best or smartest thing to do. What's your opinion on that? Actually, this this is something that just came to me when you mentioned that. Uh, for someone who made a conscious effort to withdraw themselves from that type of competition because of head injuries, for example, uh, what's your opinion on sparring? I, I think everybody talks about the ties all the time and it being very sort of touch, touch, touch and, and nothing heavy. And then you look at some gyms where sparring literally is fighting. It's not sparring at all. It's just right. banging each other as hard as you can. Like, how much of that do you need and how much do you think people do due to sort of lack of education on it, I guess? I th- I mean, I think everyone's different. Um, even now being retired and, and stuff, like I can, I still do and I still can spar quite a bit. And, um, but it's one, having good partners who are going to take care of you. Like when I spar and I'm sparring somebody who's, who's newer or not a high, as high level, I'll hit them hard, but I'm not going to hit them hard to the head. Yeah. I'll, 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 t- I'll, I'll give them ba- uh, good body shots. I'll kick their legs and stuff. And if you have somebody who's going to take care of you in that way, where they're not going to put that damage on your brain that, I mean, you have sore ribs or a sore leg, you take a couple of days off and, and you're fine, but you hit somebody in the head and you say you knock somebody out by accident. I mean, that's, you should take some serious time off where you're one, you're not going to get better. And two, that's not, that's one less hit that you can take. Cause I mean, I'm a firm believer that everybody has a, a set number that they're, that they're allowed to take. Yeah. Uh, it's, I think, I think people, this is maybe a good question to ask you, Chris, actually. So wrestling has this reputation, a positive reputation for hard, hard training, like, uh, like pushing it to the absolute limit. And I think you can probably put sparring, especially talking about uh, striking arts, you can put that in that category where do you think as a wrestler you were ever trained too hard? Do you think there was ever times where your body would have been better or would have been healthier if you had trained your a little bit sort of differently? So I had the coach that I had in, in college, he's at, he's actually the winningest college wrestling coach in the history of forever. And uh, so I got him later on in his coaching career and uh, he was very smart about that, about, he would push us and he would torture us. I mean, he, he tortured us and, uh, but he was smart about when to, when to pull it back. Every time we came around the, uh, the choir qualifier for NCAAs or for NCAAs, we started kind of toning it down and we weren't going so hard. So I think injury wise, yeah, you can go too hard in wrestling, but at the same time, you need to, you need to push hard in wrestling or MMA and I'll say this is, um, yeah, training for fights and stuff, that it's hard. Nothing is as hard as a college wrestling practice. Not, not, to this day, nothing has been that hard as far as just pushing your body to the limit. Let's talk about that then. So uh, if, you could, if you could amalgamate a, a week's worth of training into just giving us an example of one session. So how long would it last in... We've got lots of time, so break it down and what would actually be involved. Uh, because I've heard about sort of college wrestling training sessions. So to so describe one to us, and uh, I really so, thought. <laughs> so like, um, it was pretty much, we, we practiced, um, he tried to keep us from like 3.30. He said till 5.30, but sometimes it was till 6.30 or later, depending on if he thought we were working hard, or not, hard enough or not. But uh, that was Monday through Friday, and unless we had tournaments or something on uh, a Saturday or a match during the week. But we would lift or drill for an hour in the morning, and that was – sometimes we got a pretty hard lift in, but most of the time when we were drilling and stuff, it was more focused on technique. Mm-hmm. But that, anywhere from two to three-and-a-half-hour session from three 3.30 in the afternoon, you came in and you got – our warm-up was like – a mile or two mile run, whatever, whatever he was feeling that day. Yep. And uh, then we would go in the room and 
it was balls to the wall from the second you stepped on the mat until you ended. And if you weren't working hard, he was, he was going to keep you until you did work hard. And you just like, there was some times where you would just, there would be puddles of sweat all over the gym. And it's just like, <laughs> looking back at it, it's just like, man, we were, <laughs> we were really going at it back then. Yep. Do you know, it's when you, the, the other big difference I always, and again, the, my experience is, is being honest, is only through talking to people or, or, or watching movies where the college uh, coach, whether it be basketball, wrestling, is employed by the college. I mean, that's how serious you guys take it. Uh, the high school would have a, a wrestling coach. Over here in the UK, in most cases, it would be one of the teachers who would coach the soccer team once a week, maybe. And then they would have a game <laughs> on a Friday afternoon, for example. But the, the the mindset between the two nations is, it's like chalk and cheese. It really is different. Yeah. And like, uh, so the, there's, there's like this thought for a lot of people over here. So you have the people who go to college for sports and then you have the people who go to college just to go to college. And yeah. so the people who go to college just to go to college is broken up into the people who want to party and the people who are actually there for a purpose. And so those people who are there for a purpose, they're like, they get mad a lot of the times at these athletes because they're there. They feel that we get special treatment and stuff because sometimes we need a test moved or we need to send a, a, a paper or something in online, but they don't realize that on top of the same classes that they're taking, we're also putting 20 to 30 hours of work in this physically exhausting us on top of that. And, and so that's the side of college sports, especially that the main, the mainstream doesn't really show. I've, everybody shows somebody winning a national championship or, or things like that, but they don't show the work that you're putting on, in on the back end. And like most of the time for, for us, we, we would go, uh, like when I would work out with Carlton, that wasn't considered my practice. So I had to go morning practice. I had to go to my afternoon practice. And then I would have to go work out with Carlton afterwards. Uh, and a lot of times I missed dinner because the cafeteria was only open till 630. So, I mean, I was a poor college student. I couldn't be like, oh, I'm going to go buy something. Like I I just <laughs> the morning and eat in the morning then. Yeah. Do you know, I've got, I've got something written down here, which might be... It might be a segue into discussing the beginning of your mixed martial arts career and then uh, eventually getting to the UFC. But I had you down here as 285 pounds during your wrestling career. And you fought at 185 in mixed martial arts. Yep. Right. Okay. So <laughs> right. let's talk about that 100 pounds. <laughs> so was that. I'm I'm really uh, I'm really interested in how athletes, combat athletes like yourself, how you torture yourself cutting weight, for example, and how your body changes, but then the the negative effects, the long term negative effects that that may or, or may not have. So, just as a just in general, why were you wrestling at two hundred eighty five pounds but only fighting at one hundred eighty five? Bearing so, in mind that I know nothing about wrestling, or so just treat me like an absolute beginner. So my freshman year of high school, um, so I mean, in high school, you're still growing, you're still developing as a, a human being. So my freshman year, I wrestled 171. My sophomore year, I wrestled uh, 189. And then uh, there was a, a weight class in high school. It was 215 pounds. And me and another kid that was on our team, we were two of the better kids on our team. So we would both weigh in at 215 and then one of us would bump up. Well, we figured out quickly that he could not wrestle at heavyweight. And he, whether it was a mental block or whatever, he was good enough. He just, he couldn't do it. So I just told my coach, I was like, I'll, I'll go to heavyweight. No big deal. And it ended up being one of the best decisions I could ever made. I ended up, that was the first year I went undefeated until playoffs. And then I did the same thing the next year, wrestling heavyweight. So then going to college, 
I was I went was going as a heavyweight and I only weighed about 215 210 pounds and uh I got there and my coach was like you need to get bigger like we need to put some weight on you so I thought he told me I thought he was telling me to go drink beer and eat pizza so <laughs> I really fat over the next year and a half two years and I got up to about 280 pounds and then I got yelled at by him again because that was not what he meant when he said it. <laughs> and so I started losing a little bit of weight. And my, I ended up, I wrestled 285, but I weighed, by the time my uh, senior year was over, I weighed about 245. Yeah. Yep. So when I started fighting, my first couple fights were at heavyweight and uh, as an amateur. And then I was just out of college, didn't have a job, didn't have, I was going to do this as a job. So didn't really have that much money to buy food. So I actually came down. I was about, I got to about 225 and we were like, Hey, you're short. Uh, Cause I'm only 5'11. And uh, they, why don't we cut to 205? It's only 20 pounds away. And uh, so that was, that was no big deal. I just changed up my diet a little bit and uh, cleaned it up some and stopped drinking beer. And uh, so then 205, I had a couple more there and then, um, and then we figured, hey, why not? We could get to 185 at 5'11". You're not that short. You're still going to be a little bit shorter than everybody, yep. but uh, but you're still in the ballpark. So cut to 185, and I just kind of bumped between 185 and 205 for the rest of my career. I always I always ask this. I think this is a really interesting question for any fighter. The 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 fights you had at 185 pounds. Uh, so you would have weighed in the the the, the day before, yeah. one hundred five pounds. What did you walk into the cage at? About two hundred five. So, so okay, and so you were bumping up twenty pounds in twenty four hours, which isn't, yeah. isn't uncommon. Which isn't uncommon. No. Uh, people out with the fight sort of game are always really surprised. That's why I always like to ask, or one of the reasons I always like to ask that because. Uh, I just, I wish there was more weight divisions and I wish people fought at, at their weight because you're not alone. There's, there's nobody weighs in 185 pounds and then fights at 185 pounds. And it's not good, especially with the head injuries. It's not good for that. That yeah. weight and then the rehydration afterwards, That that's probably the worst thing you could do if you're going to get hit in the head the next day. Yeah. Uh, I mean, right now, I walk around smaller right now than I did when I was cutting weight. I mean, I would cut from about 220, 225 to 185, but now I walk around about 205. So how long would it take you to get from 220 to 185? And uh and how long would your fight camp be then? It would be anywhere between eight and twelve weeks. Um I kinda I would try to get down to 205. Like I would try to lose that first 20 pounds like really quick in the first three weeks, say. And uh, it was generally pretty easy because all you had to do is stop eating pizza on wings and start doing the things you were supposed to be doing. Yeah. Uh, I wish I would have done more, uh, less of the, cause when you're in a fight camp, you there's, you can't do anything. Like you can't do anything that's going to like, it's a hundred percent on that fight and nothing else. So you can't go out and, and have bad food. You can't go out with your friends. Like it's, the, the most fun thing I did was sit at home and play video games while I was cutting weight so that I wasn't, so I could distract my brain from focusing on that. So week after the fight, it was like, you wanted to do me personally anyway. I wanted to do all that stuff. So I had my bad meals planned for breakfast, lunch, and dinner for the next week. So I, I would get up to 225 just during that week because I would be eating so bad. And uh, I wish I would not have done that and kind of spread it out a little bit more. I think I would have been able to control my weight a little bit better. And uh, I was always good at cutting. That was one of the things that I was better at was the, the weight cut. I, most of the time I got to eat and drink the night before weigh-ins. And yeah. that's pretty uncommon generally for everybody that I see anyway. So there's a little bit of, there's a little bit of math there. So let's let's weigh this up. Let's the advantage. So what's happening is when people are when fighters are cutting weight, 
they are fighting at 185, for example. They walk into the cage or the ring at 205, and they're hoping that that strength plays a part in the fight. Yeah? Yeah. Right. Now that, you have that, that's to... the... Sorry, that, go ahead, Chris. That, that's the, the what everybody has in their head behind it. Okay, so let's weigh that up, however, against the fact that your body, and especially your head, has been drained of so much fluids and then taking a contact, taking lots of contact in the head. Uh, surely, and again, I'll get your opinion as someone who's had so much experience in combat sports now. When does that become not okay? When does that risk become too much to allow weight cuts to continue to happen like that? Um, I mean, I think that depends on... It's always a risk. So it, that's the thing that, that a lot of people in the general public don't realize is anytime you sign up for any of this stuff, it's always a risk. Yeah. I mean, have in, in wrestling now uh, for high school and college, they have, it's what they call a hydration test. Yeah. So at the beginning of the year, they take your body fat, they test the hydra your, your uh, hydration in your body, and they weigh you and they tell you what weight you can wrestle at for the entire year. And you're not allowed to write, wrestle lower than that weight. Now that's all that's hap That's only been around for about 10 years and wrestlers have already figured out how to cheat it in a large part, but they're at least trying to take steps to that extreme weight cut out. Um, the UFC did has taken steps because a big thing for the UFC was uh, for all fighters is to take a, a saline solution bag and get an IV after your weigh-in. And so now if you get caught by USADA uh, and you get drug tested and you, there's something in it, I don't, I'm not a doctor, so I don't know what it is, but there's something in the saline solution that if they test you the next day for, for the drug test, they can see if you did an IV bag. Okay. Uh, and so that's illegal now. And so they, they are taking steps to make that safer. But at the end of the day, if somebody wants to be extreme enough and somebody wants it that bad, they're going to find ways around it. I mean, uh, that guy who um, Kama just fought, um, uh, Awad, I think his name is. Who, who fought, sorry, Chris? Uh, Kama Worthy just uh, fought him a couple, uh, couple months ago. Uh, he has a brother that fights too. The guy, the last name is Awad, I think. Or I can't remember the guy's yeah. name. He got he got in trouble with USADA, and they wouldn't release what it was. And there was they snuck something in the room, but it, it, if you really think about it, it, there's a good chance that that's what it was. It was yeah. And maybe it was a steroid or what. It was probably an IV bag that they were trying to sneak in the room after, after uh, getting tested or something like that. Yeah. So that's that's probably a good time to, to to move the conversation on a wee bit because I fully understand that there's a couple of angles to this now. People generally, if you're a fighter, you want to be a fighter, so. You could go and get another job, whatever level of job that is. But if you want to be a fighter or you are a fighter, you generally, it's something you've got a passion for. But there still has to be uh, a duty of care towards those people. And two areas where I think that, and this is stuff I've been talking to Philip about, two areas where I think it's, it's way behind is the safety of fighters, which is hard to, to justify when the sport involves putting two people in a cage and having them punch each other in the head. But the weight cutting is one of the things. The second thing's pay. Now, you, you've you've obviously had experience with the two biggest, I think it's probably generally agreed, the UFC's number one, and Bellator's definitely up there as well. Can you share some experiences with us about going in at that sort of entry-level fighter and just how you're treated, uh, what the rewards are, if, if anything, at such a level. Because I don't, I think people still look at the UFC and think everybody is a Conor McGregor or everybody's, 
making that sort of money, and it's absolutely untrue. I mean, as how the promotions had treated me, um, the promotions both treated me great. I mean, like I, I have no complaints about any of of that kind of stuff. I mean, they they always had us staying somewhere nice, they, they things like that. That was always always good. Um, the I mean, the biggest thing is the pay. I mean, I. I had to work a full-time job while I was fighting in the UFC. So I'm fighting in the biggest organization. So over here, you, you would compare it to the NFL. I'm over there, you probably would compare it to the Premier League. Yep, and, yep. and so like you have those guys who are making millions and millions of dollars and they're probably, I mean, not probably, they're not working as hard as most of the fighters are. Yep. And they're making millions which if they invested properly they'll probably be able to retire after a 10-year career where me and I know a lot of other guys as well that had to work at least a part-time if not a full-time job just to pay their own bills so like they're making a lot of money off of these fights and everything and I am not even making enough to to take care of my own self and I'm not a, uh, I don't buy nice things. Like my house costs, I have a RAV4 car and my house costs less than my car. So I don't have all these nice, big, extravagant things, but like you at least need to pay the guys enough to live on. Yeah. I don't know what the answer is to fix that, but um, they they have made strides. I I know we have some guys in Bellator and uh, uh, I still work with a couple guys who are, who are still, in the UFC and the pay is a lot better now. Like I, I have pretty good idea of what the, the guys are getting paid now and they're getting paid better, but it's not, it's not the right amount that they should be getting paid. That that's the next part of the conversation, I guess, about what they should be getting paid because it's a really tough place to be because if you're a Dana White of this world and you're running an organize, organization like that, if if Chris Dempsey says, I'm not going to fight for that cash, there's another thousand young fighters. Yep. So what how how do how do we bridge that gap that and this isn't just a uh, mixed martial arts, it's it's kickboxing, it's it's this boxing. It's bo- well, yeah, boxing. Boxing is yeah. terrible with it. Yep, yep. So how will that ever get fixed? How, how do you... People are putting their life on the line. That, that is hit, I know that the death rate in mixed martial arts is really, really low. I understand that. But you're talking about being concussed three and four times in the space of a couple of years. 20, 30 years from now is where that might come to sort of bite in the backside. And you've right. been pennies for that. So, right. and not just you, I'm talking about any fighter. Right. You're right at the top. So I don't know if it'll ever be fixed. And I don't like, so I can, I like, I feel like I do uh, this well. I can look at it from both sides. So technically we're sub, we're subcontracted. We're not, we were 1099 subcontracted through the UFC. So, or whatever organization so one, we don't have any overhead to take care of like they do with the venue and things like that. And two, there are 30,000 more of me's that want to go in there that will fight for that. So um, that side of the purse, I don't know how to or if it ever will get fixed because you you literally are a prize fighter. You're fighting for a prize. And in MMA, at least, I, I know it's different in boxing, but in MMA, at least, if you win, you get paid twice of what you were supposed to get paid. So there are, I I don't know if it will get fixed and I don't know if it can, if it can get fixed. Um, I think the whole Reebok and now uh, Venom deal that UFC has, it uh, is the biggest slap in the face to the fighters, honestly. Yep. Really affected me because I was brand new. I've, I my first two fights were before the Reebok deal, and my second two were after the Reebok deal. So financially, it didn't really affect me one way or another. But I was down in Dallas 
and I was training at a place uh, where Johnny Hendricks was there as well. And that was when Johnny was the, the champ. Mm-hmm. And uh, he took, a, I, I won't say the numbers, but he took an enormous hit on his sponsorship money because he wasn't allowed to wear those guys on his shorts anymore. So yeah. one, you're, you're controlling the purses of all these fighters, which that, in my mind, you really can't fix that. You, you can't because of the way it's set up right now. It, ha- it would have to be a completely different setup to fix it. But if, you ta- if you're controlling how much these fighters are getting paid and then not allowing them to make money in the one way that they could make money, I think that's, I think that that's pretty, uh, pretty not nice for yeah. the promotion company to do. Just to, we've got, we've got obviously lots of listeners who will know exactly what that situation was, but just for people who, who don't, uh, what Chris is alluding to there is the UFC fighters were paid the money that we're talking about at the moment, but then they were also uh, allowed to have pretty much unlimited sponsorship uh, on their shorts uh, and their, their T-shirts that they wore to the ring. So if they were getting lousy money from the organisation, they could still make a pretty penny advertising sports gear or beer or anything. 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 So then what the UFC done was they took that right away and they signed a deal with Reebok at the time, which is now just changed to Venom Fightwear. So it meant that the, the UFC, any of these fighters weren't allowed to have sponsorship deals. Uh, now the UFC said that that was because they wanted to sort of standardise the look of the sport and it was apparently more professional it was for the organisation but it was a real kick in the teeth to the fighters right and that's fine if they if they want to make it look more professional but uh, they're still making money from Reebok and Venom so if you want to do it and say it's only to be more professional then split that money up between the fighters then you have then nobody has an argument against you, and when <laughs> so there they also make the argument well you're still allowed to get sponsors, but for somebody like me or a, some another like low level guy, yeah, um, you're getting local people, local businesses who are gonna give you a, a couple hundred, maybe a thousand dollars, and uh, just to help you out for no other reason, but they're a good person and they want to see their name on your shorts. So you take that away. Those people aren't going to sponsor you because they they can't like, they're not going to get anything back from it. So yeah, you're still going to have the Conor McGregor's, the Amanda Nunez's and and, uh, the Stipe Maochik's like they're, they're going to get their commercials from the big companies and they're going to get paid from sponsors that way. But you completely crippled everyone under the top one, two percent. Yeah, yeah. One one of the best <laughs> one of the best sponsorship stories uh, I ever heard, and I'm certain it was in boxing, and I'm certain the fighter was Danny Williams, who was a British heavyweight fighter, and he fought Tyson on one of Mike Tyson's sort of comebacks. Uh, this must have been early two thousands, uh, maybe late nineties. I think early two thousands. But the Sun newspaper which is a complete rag over here. But they they put their name on Danny Williams' sole of his boot and they paid him a million pounds for that. I'm certain it was a million pounds. So the idea was when Tyson knocked him out, everyone could see the sole of his boot. And uh, I'm, I'm certain it was Danny Williams. I might be wrong there and I might be slightly off with the money, but it was close to that. To get that's this. pretty funny. They're betting on him losing. <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. Uh, but again, people hear these stories and they think that it's commonplace, and it's something that obviously I'm passionate about. Just these, what you've you've described, just a smidgen of what you've went through to get to that level, and then not to be rewarded for it really, well, it cracks me up actually. <laughs> it really annoys well, me. Like, and I mean, that's not even. I mean, every single fighter can tell you stories of uh, losing friends or uh, their family not wanting you to do it, or your family and friends not wanting you to do it. 
and not, not because they're not good people, just because they don't want to see you get hurt. So you you have all this other stuff, like that that was just financially and physically and stuff, but you have all this other stuff on on your weighing on your mind mentally too of oh well you're not gonna make it, this is dumb, you're gonna hurt yourself, you're not you're not getting paid and you're torturing yourself. So people don't realize there's that side of things as well, is like you, you see these guys in business suits or whatever, they're like, oh my job's so stressful, this and that. Like, yeah, I'm sure your job's stressful, but I you, you don't have to worry about it that much, bud. Like so uh after deciding that so I'm gonna go back to this point, uh, Chris, and we won't labor on it, but I think it's a really important point that you mentioned at the beginning. Would you say that the 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 head trauma was your deciding factor? I don't want to put words into your mouth. No, that that's was that that's, why, that, that's why I stopped. Yeah. So funny story about that. Um uh so I had to get a new dentist. Something happened to my dentist, he left. I don't know the story there, but I got a new dentist and he x-rayed my teeth and he didn't know anything about me other than my insurance information. And uh, he said, oh, you have an impacted molar. And I started, I was like, I had no idea what that meant. So uh, he's like, yeah, have you ever like stood up real hard and hit your head off of something and got like real dizzy, like you were going to get knocked out. And I started laughing at that point. And he was like, I was like, yeah, I know what you mean. Why? He goes, well, your tooth is sitting on your nerve. And so anytime your head gets jarred at all, it's going to send a signal up through your brain and uh, it's almost going to feel like you're going to get knocked out. And <laughs> I, I just started laughing so hard after that. And uh, then I told him what I did beforehand and why I didn't. So uh, I'm not really worried about long-term stuff now. Uh, one after that and two after going through that concussion protocol twice. Um, the doctor actually said it looks like I've never been hit in the head before. Uh, from what I did, and I again didn't believe him, but <laughs> uh, I, I've, I've actually I miss it a lot, and I've I've thought I recently I've thought about doing it again. One because I, I have my weight under control. I'm sparring guys who are high level guys and doing well with them and everything. So I'm not so much worried about the head trauma anymore, but it's also because I have more experience and knowledge in, with everything. Uh, we, uh, as a gym, I, I was the first person from Pittsburgh to make it to the UFC. And so we didn't really have anybody around here that knew anything about how to go about stuff. So we messed up a lot of stuff with my career and uh, that's fine. Now we can use it, those mistakes and those mess ups to help, uh, other fighters not make those same mistakes. And we have a couple guys right now that are, uh, Cody law and and Dalton Rasta. They, they came out of our gym and they had the advantage of us messing up before. So we knew not to mess their stuff up and, and they're doing very well and they're, they're, be, they're being successful. So, um, yeah, it kind of sucks a little bit, but at the same time, we just use the knowledge for somebody else. Let's give the gym. Uh, so I think it's the Matt Factory you're talking about there. Uh, yeah. Let's give him a quick shout out. Just uh, tell us a wee bit about the gym and, and the work you, you do there as well and, and just what's going on there. So Isaac Greeley is the owner there. He, uh, he also wrestled at the same college as me. He's a little bit older. I won't call him out. I won't say how much older. <laughs> but he's like uh, a real-life G.I. Joe doll. Uh, he's a doctor, has a family, he'll rip your head off on the mat, but then he'll also, like, reattach it for you and, like, make sure you're taken care of afterwards. Yeah. Uh, we've got uh, Dom Mazzotta over there, too. It's kind of us three right now coaching the, the fight team. Dom fought several times in Bellator, and uh, uh, he's he actually got his start at uh, Phillips Gym. Uh, yeah. So, uh and then Philip was one of my coaches as well. Uh, I always got to give him a shout out because I probably wouldn't be on this podcast without him right now. So, well, there you go. A quick, <laughs> shout, out, a quick shout out to the Philomeras family because 
as you say, Dom started there uh, as a Taekwondo student, and I know that Philip's done a bit of work with, with a lot of you guys. So, and you'll not find a nicer guy either. So, we'll give him a shout out. Yeah, he's a he's a great guy. I mean, that's anytime we get a fighter in that uh, wants to work on their striking, and I, the, I one that I know is going to put the work in. Uh, I I always mention Philip's name because Philip's no nonsense, and that's that's why I like him. He's not gonna he's not gonna ever be late. He's not gonna cancel a session, but you better not do. You better be the same way back with him. So yeah, 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 yeah. So you decided to take a step away from the mixed martial arts and have been really successful in just concentrating on on the, your grappling career. Uh-huh. Uh, so is that primarily just Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu now, or? Yeah, I mean, so these tournaments now, like, you had these catch wrestling tournaments, you had Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, you had uh, everybody wanted to do their own style. But now we're to the point in, in martial arts where if you go to a tournament, you're going to get a little bit of everything. So mm-hmm. whether it's a wrestler, uh, a, a, a keto guy, a Jiu-Jitsu guy, I mean, you have to know a little bit of everything if you want to compete at the, the highest level. So and you don't have to know offensively how to do it all, but you have to know it defensively. So um, it's pretty much all just grappling now. Yeah. And what's your ambitions there then? Where, where can that, where can that take you? Um, I don't know. I just love doing it. I mean, it was kind of the same thing with fighting. Like, uh yeah the whole pay thing sucked with fighting but uh, i still would have traded it for the world i mean i had a uh a on offer my senior year of college that uh to be a graduate assistant down in uh like north carolina so i was gonna i was political science major i was going to coach wrestling and get my law degree and i chose to let people punch me in the face instead so uh my life would be much different if I would have made the other choice, but I still wouldn't trade it for the world. So with grappling, it's just, I'm in the gym, I'm grappling with all these guys and uh, I'm coaching them and going live with them. So might as well compete. I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm a competitor. I, 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 I want to, I always want to test myself and um, I've got to go against some of the best in the world. I've, I've beat some of the best in the world and I've, I've lost to some of the best in the world and, I'm right there with everybody in my head. So I just want to make sure I'm right and I'm not just fooling myself. Yeah. I don't, I think uh, the, the guys that come out of Pittsburgh, it's, I, I obviously follow you guys, but from afar. And some of the stuff, obviously, I, I don't understand like the, 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 the college uh, setup and stuff. So it's been brilliant to follow all of you. Uh, Dom, Cody Laws. I'm going to hear at the minute. Uh, Cody Philip, went to the same college as me and Isaac. Yeah, Philip uh, mentioned him when he was on the podcast himself, maybe about a year ago now, and said, yeah, you got to look out for this guy. And he just won again the other week there, so he did. So, yep. uh, yeah, you're a bunch of a bunch of really inspirational guys. So, listen, Chris, I, I won't keep you any longer. Uh, it's been so interesting just hearing your different experiences. You're, you're a you're a top man. Thank you. That I appreciate. Well, and maybe maybe we'll get you back on. Maybe we'll get you and Philip back on at the same time, perhaps. That'd be awesome. Uh, we got to make a trip out back out out there and do Absolutely. a little clinic. You know, when 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 the world opens back up again, we were actually meant to be in Pittsburgh last year. That was the plan anyway, and then nobody was anywhere last year. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, yeah, you guys go back and forth, right? Uh, one year they go send a bunch of people out, out there, and then one, the next year you guys send a bunch of people in, right? Well, well, it's it doesn't happen as regular as that, but we we, we definitely we, we definitely try to make make the trip over uh, to the states as, as often as we can, and you just pack again, and you get introduced to people like yourself and Dom. Uh, we trained with Dom up at Phillips School. A couple of years back, and it's just wonderful experiences to to get to train with people that are at, that are at your level. Just always always adding to the experience. So okay, Chris, I will leave it there, buddy. And listen, I can't thank you enough. That's been it's been really really interesting and enjoyable for me.
I, I appreciate you having me on the show. I mean, it's uh, it's pretty cool. It's not every day that somebody in halfway across the world asks you to do a podcast with them. So I, I really do appreciate it. And as I say, this, this won't be the last time. All right, my man? Definitely. Okay, take care. See you later. Thank you. See you later, Chris. Bye-bye. Thanks. Thank you. Bye.